HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is made possible by you. HRN is a member-supported nonprofit, and our coverage is only possible thanks to your generous support. Learn more later in the show, or just go straight ahead to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This is Lisa Held coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. Today, we're bringing you a special episode on the work of Teens for Food Justice. I've got the president of the organization, Catherine Saul, in studio, and after the break, we'll be talking more about the big picture in terms of how the organization trains young people in urban farming. But first, I'm taking you inside Brownsville Collaborative Middle School, where student farmers showed me last month a classroom that they transformed into a hydroponic farm. I expected a small learning garden, but what I found were preteens who last year grew 25,000 pounds of produce for their classmates and who were passionate about transforming the quality of food available in their communities. I hope you enjoy the tour as much as I did. All right, this is Lisa Held. Today I'm at Brownsville Collaborative Middle School in Brownsville, Brooklyn, at the Teens for Food Justice Hydroponic Farm. Um, I'm here with some student farmers. Um, can you guys tell me your name and how old you are? My name is Kayla and I'm 11. My name's Amani and I'm 11 years old. My name is Naima, 14. Naima, 14. And we also have the farm manager. He just Walked away. We'll get him. We'll get him back in a second. Oh, My there name is, he is Taylor Gordon. <laughs> Taylor Gordon, and you kind of run the show here, right? Yes. Yeah. How did you get into farming? I got into farming from my grandmother. She's from down south, and she taught me how to farm when I was a little kid. And then I found my first job in the industry at 14 years old, 2004, with East New York Farms. Shout out to y'all, to my family. And then from then, we just started building so many community gardens in the area in East New York, fighting for community betterment at a time when nobody really really didn't know about eating healthy and we didn't really know where to access healthy food. So it's been a long time, a long journey with this, and now we have a hydroponic farm in the school now in Brownsville. So now we're moving on to modern technology farming now. How did your experience farming um, on land 
um, translate into this hydroponic system? Like, did you do you use some of the same skills? Yeah, um, well, most of my skills outside I use in here yeah. because hydroponics is still very, very new to me. So I, a lot of my skills from outside, from traditional farming, I use in here. And it helps me out. And also with the students in here and the staff, they also help me out as well, give me a lot of tips, a lot of ideas to keep this whole thing running and operating right now. Okay. So why don't you all tell me what you do on the farm on a regular basis? So um, everybody, I'm the youth leader, so I um, make sure everything running smoothly. And sometimes I might help clean, but I, my my specific job is to help and make sure everything's running smoothly and calm. Great. How about you? Okay, so I am the old, I'd say, youth leader since September. You're old. How yeah. old are you again? No, not, not <laughs> like I'm old, but like I'm the, I was, I used to be it. Got it. But um, kind of have retired from that, you know. Um. I just really come down here. I don't come down here as often as I used to because I get busier a lot more. But um, I come down here and I really just help out whenever I need it or if I'm called down here, I'll come down here, especially when we have like big things like this ribbon cut that we had before. That was a major event and it turned out to be a success. Uh, we do, I'm just like a helper out. I just help out with things that are happening. If Mr. Taylor needs me, I'm there. If one of the other people need me, I'm there. And I'm one of the people that, I'm, I, I'm talkative. I'm a lot talkative. So uh, when we have interviews like this one, I'm mainly here for it. <laughs> they put you in charge? Yeah, I'm usually <laughs> the one talking a lot. <laughs> and how about you? Well, I could say... Oh yeah, I'm I'm his assistant. I'm right behind him. So, and like if he's not here, I'll be in charge of everybody and make sure everything's going smoothly. So, what are some of the tasks that you have to do on the farm to keep it running every day? So, that's that's hard because we have a lot to keep track and like we have to make sure that the water's running smoothly. There's no floods. That the light is fine, the light bulbs are good, the fans, the electricity, the nutrients, everything's working functionally as it should and not dysfunctionally. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to make sure that the nutrients are going to the plants and that we constantly make sure that the water is clear and we drain it sometimes to make sure that it's good as well. We have to make sure that there's no pests or, any, or anything to get to the plants because we want them to grow and be healthy. Right. Um, so we're standing here. People that are listening can only hear. Yeah. Can someone paint a picture? Show, tell everybody what we're looking at. Like, what kind of vegetables are growing here? <sighs> Naeem, you want to take it? Oh, my God. Yo. You, you got they it. They literally just put me on the spot, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> um, some of the things that are growing here, we have cucumbers, we have Swiss chard, we have kale, have dinosaur kale, we have um, purple basil, we have regular basil. We just have a bunch of things that's, that's just like, that grows out of control. And, some, and sometimes me and Taylor have to, have to harvest ourselves. Instead of having the students of BCMS come downstairs and help, we have to harvest ourselves because it's a lot of things growing at once. So it's like we got to keep track of everything and how everything is moving. Does anybody know how much food is growing in here? That's really hard to depend. I mean, I you I can't, as it, well, those who are listening, you can't see, but... There is literally a bunch of plants, just like every different way. I think this is... That's chard. Right? Yeah. We also grow in mint, though. We also are growing mint. 
Uh, but the it's Swiss shot, yeah, cilantro. The Swiss shot is like it's growing. Huge. You really have to harvest it because that's like it's overlapping on other plants. So like that really needs to get harvested because and other plants are going as bigger. Oh, and you're growing spinach. Yeah, spinach. We have got some requests for spinach. Um, one of the things that we do to like, I guess, measure the plants is like we well from when I was here, um, we usually like, so we plant the, we plant different plants and then we see how long it takes them to grow most of the time. And like, so that's like another way of us working in the farm. Um, we do a lot here though. And then we have to make sure that we're right on track though. Like some cucumbers, they look good and we about to harvest them. Those are big I can't wait too, to yeah. do that. <laughs> no. And so then, when you after you harvest, where does all this food go? So that's that's another job I have to do. Me, <laughs> me and Taylor, um, we have to take the food downstairs to the um to the lunchroom and the, the cafeteria and the students will the students will help the um some of the students help the um cafeteria lady um make make like make di- different dishes with the food that's that we grow in here. So we just now we know where our food comes from. Right. Not only does Taylor and Naheem bring vegetables and stuff downstairs to the, the staff. Yeah, the entire youth staff works together and we bring it downstairs. But we also give some teachers and students who also request it. Like when the um the what is it? The spinach is done, we're gonna give it to one of our teachers, Miss Wigan. She requested it, so we're gonna make sure that she gets it first. Um Kayla? Um, well, Actually, I want to talk to food, about the food box. Yeah, absolutely. So we're doing, so soon, like during the summertime when school is done, we're going to be doing a food box with 14 dogs, and we're going to give it out to the community with Mr. Taylor and Miss Taylor. And um, and you can, like, we're going to give it, well, as you know, in Brazil, it's a food desert. All you see around the corner is corner stores, um, Chinese restaurant, um, Lucky Star, and... Um, Kentucky Fried Chicken. So we want to help the community by giving them healthy food access. So does working on this farm and growing and harvesting this food, does it change how you think about what you eat in your lives? Um, Yes, definitely. Roughly, like me. So um, my family is, um, everybody in my family are basketball players or football players. So they do everything that has to do with them eating healthy food. Mm. So me being a farmer or a youth farmer, however you want to put it, um, I I can bring some of this home, and my parents there will be the ones that make different dishes. My mother made um, vegetable pasta the other day with no meat. So it was just like a different experiences that we go through. As in, like my family is a bunch of athletes, so we're not we're like okay. But we're still we're still trying to figure out it's a way for us to eat healthy and still not have to go through stuff like this because usually black people are usually people in the community period are dying because of heart attacks and strokes and just them um, not eating well because they eating Chinese food and Popeyes and Domino's and everything that's not good for you. Right. Um. So my sister she loves preservatives. She loves she loves specifically she yeah, loves she preservatives. loves it. Um, <laughs> Recently, at the ribbon cut, we made this omelet, I think it was, with cheese, um, eggs, red peppers, mushrooms, Swiss chard, basil, a bunch of different vegetables here. 
And um, I took that and I made it at home. And a lot of my siblings left it. My sister was not trying it at all because it had mushrooms in it and stuff. But most of my siblings loved it. And the thing is, what you learn here, you can take it and spread it. You can, like, like I, I made it for my grandmother and she was, she loves it. Because um, my grandmother, she has, she died, she almost died from a stroke and um, diabetes. And um, I came here in September and this happened in, I think, January. And we tried to make in healthy dishes and stuff. And I was like, maybe I can give this to my grandmother and my grandfather. And so we was making dishes and I kept writing down the dishes. And then I, when I went to my house, which is in Staten Island, a big travel from here to there, um, I went there and I started making them healthy dishes. Now, they don't have all the vegetables and I, I don't want to go bad, so I work with what I have. Right. But it's nice to see the smile on your family's face or something, that they're enjoying something healthy. And I think that's something that we all can appreciate, being able to share it with everybody, for them to be able to enjoy healthiness instead of having type 2 type diabetes or, get, or dying from not being healthy. If you don't put yourself in that predicament and actually try something new, you will be able to be healthy and be more productive because as busy as most of us are, eating healthy will do us a good amount of good because you don't want to keep eating Chinese food, which I love, but <laughs> you don't want to keep eating Chinese food and then you have to keep going up and down these steps and no elevator or yeah. escalator and you out of breath the first two flights. You don't want that to happen. So the more healthier we come, the better your lifestyle can be or your gender can be. Yeah. Before I came, before I like, um, at the beginning of this, um, me and Taylor, we helped build it. Well, Taylor built it, but I, I, I wasn't. They called me um, up there to help. They were like, bring some packages up there to the hydro on the phone. I'm like, where? It was like, oh, it's on the third floor. I, I'm not new here. I know the building already. I've been here for three years. My third year, I'm graduated. So I know the building, but I'm like, hydro on the phone. I've been here for the longest. Well, you see hydro on the phone? It was like, it's a, it's a guy in there named Taylor Gordon. And I was like, okay. So I come. I'm not gonna do it, and he's like, he like, um, he he um he welcomed me or whatever, and then me and him we started building it, and it was just like, it was like, wait, I don't know if like this is something I want to do yet, cause I'm still focused on my basketball career, but this is like, this is something that that um that everybody should know because everybody like like to eat, so so it's like you should always you should always, this will be a good thing that for you to have, yeah. And so was this a normal classroom before this year? Uh, so seventh grade year, that was last year. Um, during, at the beginning of the year, from September to December last year, this was a normal classroom. But then a small, transi- a small um, transition changed where they started taking stuff out of. And we had to help them carry big boxes out of here. And we were like, what are we doing this for? But then it was like, we're building something. And it was like, and now they told me before they told anybody else, and I'm like, how'd you find a phone? Huh? And like, it goes to show you what you can do with a small space, right? It was just yeah. a classroom. This room is really small when you think about it. Yeah. But then when you when you compare it to any other classroom, you think, like, the only reason this looks small is because we have stuff like this up. And this is healthy for everybody. So yeah. This is a good way for everybody to learn. 
And the hydroponic system, you can grow things in tiers, right? Yeah. So there's layers, so it allows you to grow um, a lot we more. Have, we, have grown, we have grown around maybe 25,000 pounds of the product, product, product uh, produce. So it's just, it's just, it's just like, um, this is growing like, like we grow as in groups. So like one of these will have this with chart on it, and then another one would just have basil. This so is just little, little basil, right? New. Sweet, this is little sweet chart. Oh, is that really? That's, yeah, that's yeah. just starting out, and then the chart is right there. Yeah, yeah. so. That's the Genovese basil. So it's one for like pesto. Mm. This is the red basil. This is the red, this is the red color. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. So, yeah, so it's like, it's just built in like groups. So we do it in big groups. So when everything's harvested, it's like, it's made to be, as in, it's made for us to harvest everything quickly before everything start, before the new things start growing in. Because when new things grow in, then we don't, don't want to look like a cluttered palm when you walk in. Like, right. What's that? Oh, wait, what's the same thing over there? So we just, we just try to, Harvesting at at a certain time, so everybody can have something they can eat on. Kids, I've seen kids come in here and take a bagger and eat it during class. <laughs> and I was not? just like, and I was just like, really? And yeah. I was like, and they they took cucumbers of the things and they were just biting into them. I'm like, like, I'm like, what? I'm a basketball player. We all about eating healthy until this point. I'm like, huh? Like, who does this? <laughs> but then my mother was started to tell me. My mother, she's a, she's a chef at the Portland, and she started to tell me, like, eating healthy is a good thing. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm a basketball player. Like, all we know about is eating meat, and we we eat stuff that can help with getting weight and stuff like that. Right, right. And then we work it off. Yeah. Okay, um, so he spoke much about the already grown plants. Yeah. But I do want to take us over to the ceiling bay okay. to give that kind of an imagery of what's happening so we plant the seeds so example is going to be lettuce because we grow lettuce a lot we have a bunch of lettuce um you see that the lettuce is like just a seed it's and just a seed cocoa cocoa right? can't even see it. Yeah. and then you put the seed in there it's yes. a cocoa um so while we leave it in here until it gets at least like this okay or at least so it's it, just sprouting yeah out. like it's sprouting it's becoming bigger um it grows so that it grows like the Swiss chard. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I think we just, we, I think we just planted, I believe. Um, yeah, we did just we plant and down here and every everything on the ceiling bit is basically how everything's breaking over there. The only difference is that these are all seedlings. They're all small. They're just starting. They're just regrowing, and it's not already like these are the babies. Yeah, they're the babies. They're the babies of the tree of families or something until they get bigger and they get bigger to become adults. So then do you move them over there? So once they become toddlers, I'll just (laughs) use people as an example. Once they become toddlers, we'll put them inside of the... Prop system. So. You got it. Um, <laughs> wait, no, we put it inside of the shallow rock culture. Oh, okay. Right. So, 
It goes here and it gets bigger with the fans and the lights and the nutrients the and the water. Lights. The LED lights, yeah. Mm -hmm. Those are especially important to use when you're doing a hydroponic farm. Because mm -hmm. um, we don't use soil or anything like yeah. that because we're not outside, we're inside. Yeah. So use LED lights and the fan. The lights the is sun, the sun the and the fans is the wind. And, and water is the rain. It's rain. Yeah. I just feel like... Um, Oh, some woman came in and she was like, oh, I want y'all to build this in my backyard. And me and Taylor were like, huh? <laughs> If you're outside, there's no reason. Yeah, I'm like, it's, it's, right? it's no reason. She was like, she was like, so can you build it in my basement? I'm like, you really want to hide this one for me? She's like, yeah, like, this is, if I can have stuff like this, I don't got to go to the supermarket no more. I was like, yeah, actually. <laughs> this really cuts down your supermarket. Like, if I get a really big house, I'm really cutting down one of my bedrooms and I'm making this into this. Yeah. Cause like sometimes I want to like I want to be home. I don't feel like going outside. So like I just come in here, grab what ingredients. I need, cut it up, make my little dish, sit on my couch, and watch TV and eat. Like, yeah. do do you think? So you talked a lot about how you're learning about healthy food. Yeah. Do you think you're learning a lot about science as well? Because there's yeah. a lot of mm. plant. Like we learn about science and math really mm. because because the food process. Yes, we have to calculate the growth because we have a growth control. We have to calculate things, and we have to, because science and math go hand in hand, and then science and math, when they go hand in hand, it goes hand in hand with farming. Mm -hmm. So everything all works together. It's like, um, what's the word? It's not like a cycle, but it's like a process. It is. A, it's a process. process a but, chain. Yeah. It would be like, we do, we do technically every, every academic, right. every academic class in here. We do ELA. That's, that's, yeah, that's, um, that's like, um, us doing our research about it. We do, we do, um, science. That's us, um, where the, the bacteria and stuff like that. And water, like, with the right. water, like, what the water the does. The leaders are, like, the part where you have to stop. It. Measuring. That's uh -huh. a part of math. Measure. Right. Um, we, we have to, sure yeah, we have down. to wait, we have to wait it. So, right. it's just, and we have, and we have meters. That's what we need. That we, if it, if it's higher than if it's I think higher than it was the last day, that means something went wrong. If it's higher than if it's higher than if it's higher than what it was yesterday, it means it's going good. Mm. So I just feel that um, I just feel that it's it's like it's a it's a thing for us to just learn more. And we y'all might see bacteria in here, but it helps the plants grow a little bit better. So, me and, me and Taylor, we're prone to this, so, like, we are going to come in here one day and we'll put on our gloves and we'll just be, like, we're going to be doing stuff. And people will be like, wait, you're really touching back to it. It's, we're used to it because, like, our, our, these are, are bacteria. They have bacteria on them. They help the, it helps the plant grow way better. So, it's just like, and it helps the plant grow a lot faster than outside. That's why we call it, this is why it's called the high plant farm. Right. It's a faster, it's a faster way of growing. Well, so, so you're talking about sometimes microbes can be beneficial, right? And but do you ever get pests that you have to control for in here? Well, not really. It's not. It's not really. No. It's not really pests. No, that's great. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like they know. Like this, the lights in here is on twenty four seven. There's no way we can turn off the lights. Then the plants will stop going. So we we will um we were use like. How do you say? It? Um, we would like Mr. Taylor. He cleans. He makes sure he cleans in here, mm -hmm. so so it won't be dirty in here because dirtiness attracts 
different animals that you don't want in here. Right. So we make sure we just like we add um we clean the floors and because you gotta put this food in your you gotta put this stuff in your mouth. So we gotta make sure everything's clean around here. We just we just cleaned out these and it's really hard to clean these out. <laughs> they look really clean. We took we took uh, I think a good hour and a half. Hour. Just a, yeah, just to clean, just to clean everything. We had to take everything out and just re-clean because it's like after a while you can't you can't let that sit in 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 this because then the plants will start dying. So it's just it's just a different way for everybody to like grow and build teamwork and everything. So I'm gonna ask you one more question. It's a little bit of a harder question. So this is. This farm is part of, in collaboration with Teens for Food Justice. Yes. What, is, what does food justice mean to you? Um, so, me personally, food justice is, um, it's just like, it's a way for everybody to eat healthy and to be, to be better and to grow. So like, everybody now, nowadays you're probably a kid in the morning, uh, average snack for them in the morning is a, Arizona bag of chips and something and probably a beef patty with cheese. But if we if we take maybe one of the corner stores out and put um probably um we could make like a place where people come in to buy food and buy healthy stuff, how much of that how much of that that store would not be the most popular place in? Nobody's gonna wanna go to that store unless it's the parents that really care. We need the parents' help, we need the students, we need the staff, we need everybody's help for everybody so that we can be at least, at least one. And we could try to, if we could get this around the world, that's what we can what? We're not going to hear, oh, kids, kids died of diabetes, kids are overweight. You're not going to hear that. If we could get this in every school in Brooklyn, that would be a great way to better our community. So that's just like a way for us to grow, so to speak, and to be, to, if we could build this bigger and build this in a bigger place, like at this school, we would we would have this everywhere. And I just feel like we should get one at every school in Brooklyn. We could do that. That would be like that would be the best thing ever. So that wasn't a hard question for you at all. <laughs> I'm in here. Every, I'm in here most. Of, yeah. Yeah. I'm in here every day. So. Well, thank you so much for showing us your farm. Appreciate it. You're welcome. This episode is brought to you by you. This is HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and I want to personally acknowledge you. Our entire 10-year history of groundbreaking food and beverage audio journalism has only been possible because of listeners like you. You usually hear from our incredibly supportive network of business partners during these show breaks, but this week, we're taking a moment to thank the thousands of individual donors who've been part of our family since the very start. You listen to HRN because you care not only about what's on your plate and in your glass, but how it got there and the stories of all the people, plants, and animals that contribute to the food supply chain. So please, this week, take a moment to show us what independent food radio means to you and become a member of HRN. Help us deliver another 10 years of storytelling that will shape the world during a critical time for politics, 
innovation, food ethics, and the planet. With your help, we can change the world and our food system one soundbite at a time. There's no food radio without you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate before July 31st to do your part to ensure a bright future for your favorite food podcasts. That's heritageradionetwork.org donate. From all of us at Heritage Radio Network, we thank you for your vision and generosity from the bottom of our hearts. What is it that we are? All right. We're back. This is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. So I'm here with Kathy Soul, the president of Teens for Food Justice, Kathy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me here today. So you created the organization that created the opportunity for those kids to do that incredible work that we were just hearing about. Um, they were just amazing. I, can't, I cannot say enough about how, what an incredible experience it was getting to talk to them. You know, they're just so smart and um I, I love how Naheem said, I feel like we should get this to every school in Brooklyn. So let's start there. Um, is this the only farm that Teens for Food Justice is in, or where does it fit into the bigger picture? So Brownsville is actually our third farm in New York City. We have farms at the Urban Assembly Unison School in bed mm-hmm. and we also have a farm up at DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx. And with the Brownsville School, because all of these three farms are located on campuses with co-located schools, together we serve seven schools through those three farms. And in the fall, we're going to be opening farms at the Martin Luther King Jr. Educational Campus in Manhattan and also at Far Rockaway High School in Queens. So we'll be in four boroughs. Wow. And we'll be serving um, 18 schools through this program as a result of, of those five farms. So we're really super excited. Yeah, that's incredible. And are they all the same size? Like is what we heard in terms of production is that are they all kind of doing that same level of production or does it differ school to school? It does differ school to school. It depends upon the amount of space that the school has to provide for the farm. So um, in all kinds of different configurations. So we have um, at Unison, we currently have our farm located in a 500 square foot classroom and that farm produces, you know, really about what we call experiential amounts of produce, about uh, 1,200 um, pounds of produce a year. But we're going to be opening a very large greenhouse and courtyard at that school that will be able to produce like around 25,000 pounds of produce a year in a 1,500 square foot space. Um, at DeWitt Clinton, we're in a 1,300 square foot converted lab. At Far Rockaway, we're going to be sharing a culinary lab with a culinary program there. Oh, cool. Production will be more along the lines of Brownsville. Right. Um, and at MLK, our, our farm will be located in a space actually within the cafeteria, which is very cool because the students will be able to see the food growing in the farm um, that they themselves have built alongside uh, the lunch that they're eating that was grown on the farm. Right. That's great. How do you choose the actual sites, like the schools that that you're deciding to put these farms in? So the first criteria is that um, the schools must be Title I schools where a majority of the students are, you know, um, dealing with disadvantages around socioeconomics, um, demographics, and also food insecurity themselves. Um, 
that's the first criteria. Um, and then the way that we've connected with the schools that we are working with has really been a very diverse set of paths. Schools have come to us, elected officials have directed us to schools, we've had partners who've brought us into schools. Um, funders, uh, so Brownsville um, is a partnership between Maimonides Medical Center, which funded this entire program really, really generously, and working with a local health provider, um, BMS Family Health and Wellness Centers, that's how that program got off the ground. They brought us to um, BCMS, Brownsville Collaborative Middle School. Okay. And how did you decide to focus on indoor hydroponic growing? Well, we, we had been focusing um, as an organization on food insecurity mm-hmm. and um, issues around food justice, uh, working with youth volunteers in a variety of areas related to service. And um, my co-founder, our board chair, Tara Smith, was really interested in this whole movement towards hydroponic farming and the whole idea of hyper-local growing and sustainability. Um, and really was thinking about if you could grow f- produce hydroponically on the roof of a store like a Whole Foods and just deliver it right downstairs, super mm-hmm. fresh, minimal carbon footprint. Um, what if you could do that on the roofs of schools and then schools could sell the produce out and use that as a way of raising funds for programs and items that they couldn't fund um, as a result of you know, lack of public funding or not having um, PTAs that could help to support additional programs. And in our conversations, um, you know, we really began to talk about food and food insecurity and food justice and the fact that in schools that have those issues, you're also dealing with students who don't have access to good quality, healthy food. And so what if you had the kids build these farms, grow the produce, and then that could change the way they're eating every day at lunch and the way their communities are eating on a daily basis. And really, that's how the program was born in its current incarnation. Right. One thing that struck me was, you know, I, I think there's there's so much value in um, soil-based growing, outdoor growing, um, but in a school, you know, when, I, when I, I knew I was going to visit the hydroponic farm at Brownsville Middle School, I expected it to kind of have its own space, but it was just an old classroom. Like it hit, and so that, that kind of hit me as, you know, this is one use for hydroponic growing that is just so perfect because, you know, in that scenario, the space you have is a classroom. Like it, 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 you could tell it was so cool that it didn't even, you know, you could tell there had been desks in there not that long ago. And in that tiny space, they were able to just start growing without building out an entire, um, soil-based farm, which I would imagine would be a little more resource intensive, or you just might not have the space for it, right? Correct. And I, and I think that, you know, it's really important to emphasize that we do not believe, we don't see, um, hydroponic growing as an alternative to soil-based mm-hmm. farming. I think that you know traditional farming methods and alternative farming methods, of which hydroponic growing is one, um, have the ability to collaborate, um, to be companions to one another, to provide ways in which we can serve a an exploding population with diminishing resources. And the more creative we are about figuring that out and understanding what we can grow hydroponically, when it makes sense to grow hydroponically, mm-hmm. that frees up land, it frees up water for mm-hmm. those items that can't be grown in that manner. But for students who are going into school every day and having the opportunity to build these systems, to run these systems, to understand the physics, the chemistry, 
the engineering behind hydroponic growing, high capacity vertical hydroponic growing, which mirrors what is in their schools, what they're doing is mirroring what is happening on commercial hydroponic farms. That's an incredible STEM opportunity. It connects Mm. them really directly to the topics that they're studying scientifically with a real outcome, which is what they're eating every day at lunch, what they're taking home, what they're sharing with their community. I mean, you can hear from these kids their knowledge of this whole topic from the farming to the advocacy and the addressing the health outcomes of food insecurity is is so rich and so complete. And, you know, that is because they've been deeply immersed in this every day in school. They're Mm -hmm. really connected to this. They really own it. And it's changed the way they think about all of those topics and really elevate, I think you can hear, really elevated their conversation in a way that you don't typically have. Right. Are you finding that any of the kids um, want to become farmers? Well, they say that, (laughs) but you know, they're young. Yeah. Um, I I don't even remember what I wanted to become, I guess. Right. Exactly. But our high school students, we have high school students who are graduating from our program at Deba Clinton, who Mm -hmm. um, are working with us to identify um, opportunities for internships or entry level jobs in commercial hydroponic farms or on soil based farms. Um, And the food box program that we're running Mm -hmm. is obviously giving these kids an opportunity to actually work um, in a food distribution program connected to farming. So let's talk about that. Um, I wanted to ask about where exactly all of the food that you're growing is going. So the majority is going into the actual cafeterias at the schools. Is that right? Um, actually, that isn't the case. Oh. There, a percentage is going into the cafeteria. It isn't the majority. Okay. Um, what we're growing is so much greater than what the cafeteria can use every day, and that's by design because really the goal is to get the food first into the cafeteria but to ensure that there is plentiful food that can be distributed to the local community mm. free and affordably. So um, the first customer is the cafeteria. We are actually growing to order. Cafeteria tells us what it is that they want or need on a weekly basis, and we can provide that um, in those categories where we grow what they're looking for. So, for example, lettuce, we can supplant all the lettuce that they are purchasing from wow. um, you know, the DOE supplier, which is really amazing that mm-hmm. the kids are all the lettuce that's served in the school has been grown by the students. Um, And then it is being distributed into the community. So our food box program just launched in the spring. Okay. Um, And so that's just getting started. And, um, you know, our expectation is that that will really be the bulk of our distribution over time. We also give food away to City Harvest and to local food pantries, the school at BCMS. Um, One of the elementary school at BCMS has a food pantry for families in the local community, and we donate to them. So can you uh, talk a little bit about how the food box program actually works? Yeah. So, you know, food box is a state supported um, initiative. Um, we, uh, which is designed to help uh, lower income New Yorkers have access to fresh produce, um, utilizing their uh, food assistance benefits. Um, it is a CSA, but unlike a typical CSA, you're not paying for your entire season at the beginning of the season, which is a huge investment. You're going week by week. So Mm -hmm. our customers sign up a week in advance for the food box that they're going to pick up the following week. Um, It's basically a bag of groceries Mm -hmm. that um, is comprised of food that's grown hydroponically in the farm. So that's uh, salad greens, cooking greens, herbs, uh, cucumbers. 
And then that is supplemented by produce we purchase from green markets at a very uh, cost-effective price, and we package that together, and it's $14. Um, the, the families um, who pick it up are, are basically purchasing enough produce to feed two for a week, but it really is a lot of produce, and it really is capable of uh, feeding more than two people for a week. Right. That's, that's incredible. I mean, just, I mean, getting that food, making the connection between the kids, growing the food, the school, and then the community. It's right. like a, a, a perfect little loop. Um, I did want to ask you too about um, what it takes to get a farm like this up and running in terms of investment. Um, going back to the idea of like, there should be one of these, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. all you need is a classroom. These kids are learning so much. Um, what, what is the cost of actually getting the equipment, like everything set to run something like this? Right, so the year one startup cost um, is around $250,000, okay. and the annual operating cost of the farm is a little over $100,000. A lot of that in you know year one is the systems and equipment. It also takes into account costs of construction because um, you know, the farm itself needs renovation. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes that funding is able to be accessed privately, which can help to expedite the process. Um, and sometimes it's public funding. Um, and then, of course, a, a big component of it is our farm manager's salary. Our farm manager is a really critical mm-hmm. component. You spoke with Taylor. He was great. And I mean, his experience in farming was incredible. Like, he was telling me how he had worked on in all these community gardens in East New York and I mean he really knows what he's doing right and it's it's not just the farming piece but it's also the youth engagement mm. piece and you know he really understands how to connect with these kids around the farm and his passion and his dedication to mm-hmm. the farm is a model for them um, and also his his passion and dedication for social justice you know his the role of the farm manager is really multifaceted because they're, they manage everything around the farm and they are responsible for everything around youth engagement in the farm, but they are also responsible for really working alongside the teaching staff at the school to ensure that when the kids come into the farm as part of their STEM classes, they're having a rich and meaningful experience that connects the farm work back to the STEM topic that they're working on at that period of time. Um, we have a whole curriculum that is aligned with the scope and sequence for every grade um, that we work with in science um, and environmental science, AP environmental science. Um, you know, so there are many topics that our farm managers need to really understand in mm. order to do their job well. So, when you say STEM, what are you referring to? Um, science, technology, engineering, and math. Ah, mm-hmm. I, I know a lot about farming, but not a right. lot about the education. You know, current educational system. Right. Right. Um, okay. So that. So. Are the the classes or the the when the kids are working on the farm is that di- you're directly linking up with those teachers and those subjects? Yes, okay. yes, and we provide professional development for our teachers um, who are running these classes in conjunction with our farm managers, so that they really understand the farm and they really understand the curricular integration. It's a very close partnership that we have with our teachers um, at our various schools, and it's really important that we have that collaboration. Um, and that the teachers really feel equipped to utilize the farm, you know, to its greatest possible degree in, in what they're teaching. It really becomes a lab for them in, in their educational outreach to their kids. Perfect. So we have to wrap up um, in a minute. Um, what's, what does the future look like for Teens for Food Justice? 
Well, we're really excited because in addition to many different schools that we are speaking with in New York about expanding this program, um, we are also expanding to Miami. We have an existing partnership with the Gloria Estefan Foundation and the Miami-Dade County Public School System to wow. open schools there, um, two or three sites in 2021. Um, we've raised about 75% of the funding required to do that, so we're really excited about that. That's huge. And we're also speaking to currently with two other major cities, and um, we were very fortunate. We had some really amazing uh, national coverage on NPR's Assault I last week. I saw that, yeah. And as a result, people have been calling from all over the country uh, mm. to find out more about our program and how to work with us, so we're really hopeful. You know, we really believe in a world where everyone um, has access to good quality food affordably. Um, the health outcomes of food insecurity are really dire. We are looking at a national security crisis, really, if we don't address these problems. But it's also a global problem, you know, that we are trying to make this program as sustainable and as scalable as possible so that, you know, children all over the world can have the same experience that our Brownsville kids are having and really come to understand these issues because if our next generation really understands what's at stake, they're going to make sure that it's a priority that we change the way we eat and we change the kind of food that we make available to people. So our goal is to, to do that everywhere where it's needed. Absolutely. Um, if people want to get involved or find out more about Teens for Food Justice, where should they go? Well, our website is teensforfoodjustice.org, and you can email us at info at teensforfoodjustice.org, and uh, someone on our staff will definitely get back to you, depending upon what area you're interested in. Um, you know, we work very closely with our partners, and, um, you know, it's these the collaborations that we've established with our corporate sponsors like Green Mountain Energy Sun Club and Whole Foods and Maimonides are really critical. We have multiple other partners like our funder, the Pinkerton Foundation. Um, you know, wherever you're coming from, whether you're a school or a health provider or a, a corporation, uh, if you're interested in learning more about our organization, we're really interested in learning about you. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me today. All right, a quick reminder before we go that we are in the middle of our summer fundraising drive at Heritage Radio. Um, please go to heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate and show us some love to support food radio. Thank you all so much for listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.